You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. As I was thinking about what do I want to do on this Sunday before the start of a a next series, I thought, no, I want to go here. I, I want to walk through some things to really help encourage uh, all of us. And so that's what we're going to do. Let me, let me pray, and then we'll go through, start going through this text. Uh, Father, your word, it tells us in your word that your word is like honey from a honeycomb. It's sweet. Um, we, al- we also know that your word has been inspired, breathed out by the Holy Spirit, but there are some texts where it just seems like the Holy Spirit breathed extra hard. And this is one of them. And so I pray as we go through it today that you would use me, that I wouldn't get in the way of this text and that you would speak to us through it. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, Back in the late 16th and early 17th century, there was a Roman Catholic apologist Apologist is just a fancy word, a defender, a Roman Catholic defender of the Roman Catholic stream of faith. His name was Robert Bellarmine. He has a university actually named after him today in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Much of his writing at the time was targeted against the Protestant faith, and in particular, those things that he saw as heresies, Protestant heresies. The greatest of them, in his opinion, was the assurance of salvation. He wasn't a fan. Among his arguments coming out of certain pillars of Catholicism was that assurance of salvation was not desirable for it would remove all motivation for good works and would be replaced with a lifestyle of unabashed sin. And yet, as we go to Romans 8, Paul doesn't seem too worried about that. In fact, in the verses immediately before the ones that we're going to look at today, he emphasizes that if God calls you, you can be certain he's going to glorify you. Meaning if a moment in time happens in your life where you come to Christ, you would declare yourself to be a Christian. Jesus is now your Lord and Savior. If he's called you, you can be certain that one day he's going to glorify you. Meaning this old body replaced with the imperishable, we'll see Jesus face to face, we'll be like Jesus because we see him as he is, and so forth. Entering that eternal kingdom. And like I said, what Paul says is that you can be certain of that. If he's called you, you will one day be glorified. No one he calls will not be glorified, is what Romans 8 in the verses preceding ours tells us. That's why he writes of these things, by the way, if you notice it, in present tense language in verse 30. Whom he justified, he also glorified. Not will one day be glorified, Not hopefully we will be glorified, but in the same way we have been called, we have also been glorified. We who are in Christ are assured of that. What I want to do with our time this morning coming out of this text is to speak about the assurance of our salvation and how nothing will ever, ever separate those 
who are in Jesus, from Jesus, and the love of God that is ours in Jesus. But instead of giving you three or four points as I usually do and then going through them, what I want to do this morning is I just want to go through our passage verse by verse and make some comments along the way. I hope that's okay with you. Uh, Our passage begins, verse 31, with a couple of questions. Just take a look at it. It's also on the screen if you want to follow that way. But Paul begins, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, since you asked, a lot of things can be against us, right? People can be against us. Our bodies can be against us. Sickness can be against us. Families can be against us. Your kids can be against you. Your parents could be against you. Your siblings could be against you. Doesn't it seem that there are days where everything seems to be against you? Mainstream culture and today's ideologies can be against us. Paul writes in a different place, Galatians 5, that our flesh stands against the spirit in us. So our own flesh is against us. And then there's death. Death is an enemy. It stands against us. And we also have a capital E enemy who prowls around seeking to destroy us. So Paul, lots of things can be against us. And Paul knew that. His point, as you take a look at verse 31, is that if God is for us, all those things don't stand a chance against us. It would be like a match trying to stand against Niagara Falls. He continues in verse 32, and it's such a sweet verse on this Father's Day. Paul writes there, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not also with him, with the son, graciously give us all things? Stop there. What is Paul doing here? Well, Paul is working big to small. Let, let me illustrate it uh, this way. Uh, when I got married uh, 600 years ago, when I got married, there was a moment in time in the ceremony when the pastor asked the question, who gives this woman? to be married to this man. And, and after a couple of minutes of deliberation and, 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 and hesitation, my now in-laws replied, we do. And in that moment, they gave me their daughter to have and to hold until death do us part. What a gift. But since that time, I've received other things from them over the years, and they always happily, graciously, generously give me things. That comes with being a part of the family, and that comes with Nicole being my wife. But all of those other things are lesser things. She is the greatest thing. Amen. I'm going to get kisses today, by the way. I'm going to get kisses. It's good. Just go back to our text. God gave us his own son to have and to hold. 
And Paul's point is that all lesser things to help grow us and assure us of our salvation will be given too. That is what comes with being a part of the family. Why would he not give to us? He's, he's a good father. Jesus is our brother and he's not ashamed to call us brother or sister. We are co-heirs with Christ. That's what Paul is doing in verse 32. Paul continues with his questions in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, meaning it is God who makes us right. He's the one who lays the gavel down and says, innocent. God is the one who justifies. But again, Paul asks the question. So since you ask, Paul, many will bring charges against us. Again, is that not true? Satan does, day and night. Revelation 12 tells us that Satan accuses us night and day before God. Others bring charges against us too, pointing out our sins and, and calling us hypocrites or pointing out those things that we stand for and calling us hateful or on the wrong side of history. Our own hearts bring charges against us, don't they? So many things bring charges against us, some calling for our condemnation, and sometimes we believe the charges, and sometimes we're crushed by them. But look back to the text. Who are they bringing charges against? The answer is God's elect. God's chosen ones, God's called ones, God's certain-to-be-glorified ones. And besides, who is the justifier? Well, God is the one. Not you, not me. Our salvation is a work of God. Do you remember the first covenant, the covenant, well, not the first covenant, there was one before with Noah, but the covenant with Abraham? Genesis 15, God enters a covenant with Abraham. Remember that? Remember what Abraham was doing? Do you know that story? Sleeping. That's the point. God put a sleep on Abraham, entered a covenant all on God. Salvation for us is a work of God. It's a work of God on our behalf. He, he did it. It doesn't rest on us. It rests on him. And thank God it does, for so often the charges brought against us are true. And that would certainly be the case with Satan and his work against us, as I took us to in Revelation 12. Not false charges, not made-up charges, not trumped-up charges, real charges. See, the truth is, we are all guilty as hell. That's the truth. So what is our hope? Faith in the one who took our hell for us. Going back to Revelation 12, do you know how Revelation 12 says those being accused by Satan night and day had victory over the charges that were brought against them? Revelation 12:11 gives us the answer. And they have conquered him, that's the accuser, by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony, 
for they loved not their lives even unto death. So how do they conquer him? Well, they conquered because they loved something more than life itself. They conquered because they had a testimony that pointed to something greater than them. And they conquered because they had a covering that covered the charges that were brought against them. They loved Jesus. They testified of Jesus. They were covered with Jesus and the blood that he had shed for them. That's how they had victory. And Midtown, that's how we have victory too. Paul goes on and he asks next in verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What assurance here. Like, who is to condemn? Well, Paul's already answered that question back in verse 1 of this same chapter. Where he writes in verse 1 of chapter 8, Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There was before, but not now. And why is that? Well, take a look at verse 34. For Jesus died for us. Jesus is the one who died and he killed death for us by rising from it. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing for us now? Well, Paul answers. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. He's our great high priest. And that's what high priests do. They stand in the gap between God and people. And to every accusation from Satan leveled against us, the answer from our great high priest, the one who sits with all power and authority at the right hand of the Father, his answer is, hey, Satan, look at my hands, look at my feet. The ones you are accusing, I've got them. I've bought them. They're not yours anymore. They're mine. And nothing you say against them and nothing they do can change that. More questions in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Great verse. I was tempted to do a whole sermon on just this one verse because there is so much meat in it. First off, a couple things to notice. First off, notice that Paul doesn't merely ask, who shall separate us? Because tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword will separate us from all sorts of things. From our families? From, from each other? From, from the comfort we love so much? From our jobs? Distress would separate us from sleep, wouldn't it? Famine would separate us from food and health. Nakedness would obviously separate us from clothing, 
But imagine being stripped of your clothing and thrown into a prison cell. Naked and now clothed in shame and open to the, to the elements. Danger would separate us from peace. The sword would separate us from life. You see, on this side of heaven, we will experience all sorts of things that will lead to all sorts of separation. In fact, this list here is basically Paul's autobiography as he goes into greater detail laying out in 2 Corinthians. These are the things, some of the things that Paul experienced in his life. And by listing them, he reminds us that we too will experience things that will lead to separation with one exception. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. You see, the issue with these things and things like them is when we go through them, sometimes because of the lousy teaching we've received, we begin doubting. And our faith takes a hit. And we doubt God's goodness. And we also think perhaps maybe he's punishing me. Things like that. We doubt the, 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 the assurance of his love. We doubt the security of our own salvation. These things challenge us. They, they come against us. But what Paul does here is saying nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing will separate, separate us from the love of Christ. But here's what I also know. That will only bring comfort if he and his love is your most treasured thing. If not, then these words will sound hollow to you. For how do you go through the loss of sleep and health and food and, and clothing and even life itself while still holding on to your faith with peace and contentment unless he is your most treasured thing? How, how do you go through times where you can no longer contribute to the benevolent fund, but you have to take from it instead? And do that with joy. The, the only answer, there's only one answer, Midtown. There is only one answer, and that is by treasuring above all else a love that takes strength to comprehend. And treasuring above all else, the one we can never be separated from. That's the only answer. It's only doable if there is a, another kingdom and another king we seek first and always before anything else. It's the only answer. But even if the love of Jesus and Jesus himself is most treasured by us, we will still, as I mentioned just a moment ago, tempted at times to doubt the assurance of his saving love. Isn't that true? Persecution and famine and the sword will do that to a person, right? And that's why this is written here. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. Because this is something common for all of this. We need this. I mean, earlier in this same chapter, Paul says on this side of heaven, we're going to go through groaning times. Just groaning times. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. The book of Psalms is full of lamenting songs. Where we'll cry out, how long, O oh God? Why aren't you doing something, God? 
Why aren't you listening to me, God? Why, why is this going on in my life, God? Why this thorn in the flesh, God, that you're not removing? Why, God? Why, God? So we need this. But don't be surprised when you go through groaning and lamenting times. In our text, Paul writes that there will be times where we will be distressed. Do you know what that word distressed means? It's different than stressed. Distress speaks of severe and prolonged stress. He says, on this side of heaven, we'll go through those times. And it doesn't mean the absence of God's love for you or God's presence or the assurance of your salvation. Which is why, go back to the text, Paul doubles down and writes in verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What is this? Well, what this is, is Paul borrowing from Psalm 44, a verse from there, borrowed, taken, and put here. But it's also something similar to what Jesus said to his disciples when he said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So what, what is Paul doing here? Well, what Paul is saying here is don't be surprised when you go through these times. Don't be surprised when you go through, as you go through life and you're just Dying, 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 moment after moment after moment. You're being challenged. You're going through a prolonged period. You're encountering the, don't be surprised. Peter said the same thing when he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Not just a trial, fiery trial. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But why though? Peter, why? Meaning, I, I know you're saying that I shouldn't be surprised, but why do I, why, what's the point? Well, there are a lot of answers to that question, but the one that I want you to see today shows up in the next verse, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. <coughs> so we finally, finally get an answer from Paul. <laughs> He's asked seven questions. And now he finally chimes in, and his answer is no. That's his answer. Can anything stand against us, Paul? No. Can anyone bring a charge against us that will stick? No. Can anyone condemn us? No. Can anything separate us, Paul, from the love of Christ? No. That's his answer. In fact, as you go back to verse 37, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. What things? Well, verse 35 things. Things like tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, and danger, and, and the sword. Those things. In all those things, <coughs> we are more than conquerors. How can you be more than a conqueror? Like if you play a game, soccer, football, golf, whatever, and you win, you don't go, I'm more than one. I more than conquered you. I beat you. 
How, do you, how are you more than a conqueror? How is that possible? Well, it's a good question. And the answer is, is that it happens when these things, think verse 35 and things like them, are used to testify to ourselves and to the world of the faith and the love that we have for Jesus. That we declare that in spite of these things, we have and we always will have Jesus, and that's better by far. And when that happens, we are using these things. And not only aren't we succumbing to them and being defeated by them, but they are serving us and bringing greater glory to the good news of Jesus. Over the past couple of years, and Kathy, I warned warned you about this on Friday when I talked. Over the past couple of years, I have had many coffees with Ben. And uh, I, I remember when he told me that he thought he had long COVID, but it turned out to be cancer instead. And it was spreading fast. He told me that all he wanted to do with his time, however long he had left, was meet with people and pray with them and encouragement, encourage them in, in any way you could. And that's what he did to the very end. The, the world would say that cancer conquered Ben. The world is wrong. Ben more than conquered it. Ben used his cancer to bring greater glory to Jesus. The world would say that Ben is dead now. No, he is not. He has more than conquered death and entered life that is truly life. And as we gather here today and worship Jesus, he's there today. And he's looking at Jesus. And I, I have to believe Rachel is right next to him. <clears throat> did Ben do this in his own strength? No. He did this all through Christ, who first loved him and Ben loved him in return. And therefore, we can too. We all can be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. To Jesus be the glory for lives lived well. I need a tissue or else I'm going to start dripping all over my iPad. Thank you, brother. Paul ends in verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will 
be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I, I won't take the time to unpack the 10 things that Paul mentions in these two verses, but let me summarize them by, by saying that Paul is convinced that nothing, absolutely nothing will separate us from the love of God in Jesus, who is our Lord. Nothing seen or unseen, nothing now or in the future, nothing below or above, there is no power big enough, there is nothing in creation mighty enough to separate us from the love of Jesus. And please listen to me, Midtown, that includes you. You can't separate yourself either. Our grip on Jesus may fade. Our love may lessen, but Jesus' grip never loosens and his love always burns bright. You see, Midtown, please hear me and look at the text if you need to be reminded. The anchor of the assurance of our salvation is not, I am for God, but that God is for me. And if God is for me, who can stand against me? No one. No one. See, what we need to understand is that God is always more for us than we are for him. Always. And those he calls, he glorifies, and even you can't get in the way of that. You are not stronger than the assurance of your salvation. You are not stronger than the Holy Spirit who has sealed you. And, and, and you are not more mighty than the love God has for you in Christ Jesus. Be assured of that. Like walk in the assurance of that. I want to put a picture up on the screen for you. That's a man named Hyen Pham, a Vietnamese man, uh, obviously a, a picture from many decades ago. Uh, let me read his story. He, he was raised in Vietnam, and during the Vietnam War, while in his early 20s, he would travel around the country with great peril, interpreting American preachers bringing the gospel to troops stationed there. I'll let him explain in his own words what happened next. He writes, After Vietnam fell, I was imprisoned by the Viet Cong because I had worked for the Americans. They put me behind bars. They took away English from me, took away my Bible from me, tried to knock the faith out of me. I was only allowed to read Marx and Engels in French and Vietnamese. After about a year in there, I was worn out. And I finally said, maybe you don't exist, God. I'm giving up all hope, God. I don't believe in you. God, tomorrow when I wake up, I'm not going to pray. That very next morning, he was assigned to clean the latrines in the prison camp. He said, it was the dirtiest place on earth a place you'd never want to be. I bound a handkerchief around my mouth while cleaning the wet floor, and I saw a little bin with dirty pieces of paper and human excrement on it. But something told me to look there. 
there was one piece of paper, a piece of paper with English. I hadn't read English for so long, I washed it off, put it in my hip pocket, and waited for every, everyone to go to sleep. I took out my flashlight under my mosquito net. I flashed it on the paper, and in the right-hand corner it said, Romans 8. I, I started reading, and I cried, Oh, my dear Lord, you didn't leave me one day without you. For who shall separate us from the love of Christ neither things present nor things to come, neither life nor death. The next morning, I went back to the commanding officer and I asked, do you mind if I clean the latrines again today? He went there every day. He found more pages from the New Testament. What he later discovered was in this camp where rations and supplies were limited, the commanding officer had been given a Bible years before. He was tearing out pages every day and using it as toilet paper. Hyen was washing it and using it for his devotions every day. The rest of the story of Hyen's life is that he eventually escaped from the prison. He was stowed away. He stowed away on a boat and he was rescued and, and made a, a United Nations refugee in, in Thailand. He eventually got to the U.S. where he earned a business degree from a, a university in California. Now, I know that not all stories end like that. I know that full well. But however our stories end, the, the truth is just the same. God is for us. He's for us. If you're in Christ, he is for us. And there is never a day he isn't. And he doesn't ebb and flow in his commitment. He burns white hot for us every moment of every day. And because he is, nothing can stand between him and his love for us. Nothing and no one, not even you. Be assured of that. And one other thing, as I close, with all due respect to Robert Bellarmine and, and the university that's named after him, there is a huge difference between good works done to somehow, somehow ensure us our salvation and good works given to us to walk in as the result of our salvation. The former are works done out of fear. And God's love casts out all fear. The latter are works done out of love. For the one who secured our salvation and assures us of it forevermore. Would you rise as I pray and we go into a time of response. Thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word made flesh who we remember by way of this meal that we partake in every Sunday. Thank you for the word made flesh. Thank you for the written word. Uh, the word that was penned by men as inspired and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Romans 8 verses 31 to 39. Thank you for it. And I do pray that this would not be just a mere exercise in education, but the penny would drop 
with the sweetness of the assurance of the love of Christ, that our lives would be lived in that reality. So when we do go through times of tribulation and testing, where maybe we don't hunger from food, but maybe we hunger from something else, exposed to other things, maybe charges brought against us, maybe ridicule that we would hang on to you knowing that this isn't a demonstration that you've left us, but you're close to us. And we now have an opportunity to live as more than a conqueror using those things, those things serving us. So strengthen us in this, take this deep in us, in this, that as we walk out of here, this would in fact just envelop us and we'd walk in the sweetness of it, I pray. And I pray for these things, all of these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to midtownchurch.com.